Well, good morning. Oh, that's good. Excellent. Well, I, I said in the first service, I'll say it again in the second service, where'd you people come from? I was sitting up here and about the clock was about ticking down. And I looked out and I said, well, it's going to be basically like a little Bible study here this morning. And then you all appeared. Well, the, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And um, let me say this. Thank you for singing. You're going to say, well, what is it? we're here at church. Of course we're singing. I, I'm, part of my job, one of the jobs I have is I go around to churches and evaluate churches, and I, I'm in the middle of writing a, our end-of-the-year paper we call uh, the State of the Church. And one of the points of the State of the Church right now is that if you go into most churches today, and I look around and people look around, nobody's singing. Now, part of that is um, the songs that we're picking are on K-Love Radio, and they are great solo songs, and somebody hears it and says, ooh, we're going to sing that on Sunday, and it's not meant to be sung congregationally, and so me, like you, we sit there and we look at each other saying, I don't know how to sing this song, and the music isn't up here, and so nobody sings. And, um, and then you don't have worship leaders. You are very fortunate. I, I would... Uh, Matt, I would steal Josh if I had a church right now. I want you to know that, but uh, it makes you nervous. Eh? But uh, you have a worship leader that encourages you and helps you, and most churches aren't. And so we have singingless churches on Sunday morning. And that's a real problem because our souls need to sing after all we go through every week. And so you come here and sing out. And even if you don't know the melody and you don't know how, just get it and keep singing, keep trying, and then sing loud. It's a good thing because it is a healing and encouraging and uplifting thing. And we might as well get ready for heaven because that's all we're going to be doing in heaven anyway. Uh, take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, I'm going to ultimately get to Genesis 40, 41. And some of you are in a panic right now seeing two chapters in Genesis and saying, oh my gosh, uh, I'm supposed to be at lunch at 12.15. You'll get there. But I want you to go to Acts 17. I know you've been in Acts, and I just want to show you something from Acts 17 to tell you why I picked today's message and where we're going through. I, a, number, a number of weeks ago, your pastor said to me, hey, would you uh, be available? to preach. I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. As a matter of fact, here's what I'm going to preach on. I even told him what I was going to preach on. And, um, and then you have preacher's remorse after that. And you say, oh, I don't know. And you have all these doubts and you start you know, going in the middle of the night, waking up saying, I don't think that's going to be a good message. And then I emailed Matt back and I said, Matt, tell me what the needs are here at your church. And he gives me a whole list and none of those things helped. And uh, and so I said, then I emailed him back. I said, well, where are you right now? And he acts, and he said, well, I'm finishing up 17. I said, oh, let me look at 17. And so I read through 17, and I found this verse, verse 17. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. Now, he's talking about Paul here. Your pastor probably um, exposited this, but he's, in the, he's at Mars Hill, and he's trying to convince these people who were worshiping an unknown God. I don't know how you worship a God that you don't know, but they were trying to do it. And he was trying to persuade them about Christ. And so he went into the synagogue where there are God-fearing people. We would say that's low-hanging fruit. That makes sense, but listen. He said, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. 
And so, you know, the one-off thing is to go into church or go to where they're religious people, and that's a few and far between. But every day going in the marketplace, after today, that's where you and I will go, into the marketplace. That can be the most, the most fruitful place to convince people about Christ. So that really helped me to go back to Genesis 40 and 45 because that passage is going to help us have a good testimony in the marketplace, and we'll get to that in a second. But the second thing I want to just do an introduction is just talk about that word testimony. See, every one of us in this room, we're either writing a biography or a testimony. A biography is simply this. It's a story about what you did with your life. And some of you guys have some great biographies. But a testimony is what God has done in your life. And for the Christ follower, we are not to worry about biographies. We should be worried about testimonies. And really telling people what God did in my life. Now here's the second thing about a testimony we have to understand. That word testimony, the first four letters is test. To get a testimony, God's going to put you through tests, difficulties, trials. Because it's in those moments that he shows up and he shapes and forms your testimony so that you then can say, hey, here is what God has done in my life. Thus comes to our message today, is how to be an effective testimony during trying times, or even better, in a trying marketplace. Because tomorrow morning, we all go to our marketplace. Some call it a job, some call it school, some call it a community meeting, some calls it a PTA, some calls it being on a walk with your neighbors every morning. Whatever the case, we go to our marketplace every day this week, and we have an opportunity to show forth our testimony. And no one has a better a really better story about that than the person in Genesis 40 and 41. If you will turn to that, we will get to that now. And that is the story of Joseph. It's a famous story. Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. He's the 11th son. His brother is Benjamin. He's the 12th. Both of them are sons that were born through Rachel. Rachel being Jacob's favorite wife. I know it's a terrible thing to say, but he did have four women he had children with. She was his favorite. And she was the last to have kids. And they became his favorites. And we know that story where Jacob loved Joseph so much that he gave him a special coat, a coat of honor and privilege. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, his other brothers didn't like it. And that sparked um, jealousy, and jealousy, envy, and envy, anger, and anger, resentment, and resentment, bitterness. And they, they had a bitterness towards their brother Joseph. And it was even accelerated by Joseph having the ability to interpret dreams. Because one day he comes to his brother and says, hey, boy, hey guys, uh, I had a dream last year. Well, what kind of dream did you have? I had this dream that in the future, you guys are going to bow down before me. <laughs> Let's kill him. And so they said, that's it. We're going to kill this kid. Well, cooler heads prevailed. They didn't kill him. They sold him into slavery. And Joseph is taken into slavery and transported into the country of Egypt. 
And there he finds his way in being a servant in Potiphar's house, waiting his time out, hoping his father would figure out that he's gone, but his father thinks he's dead. No one comes looking for Joseph. He's stuck in that home, and Potiphar's wives get an eye for him and has lust in his heart, and he rebuffs her advances, and nothing is worse than a scorned Potiphar's wife. She makes a false accusation, and he ends up in prison. Injustice after injustice after injustice after injustice, and he's stuck in prison. Now, one other thing before I get into the text is really important for us to understand is when we read the Bible sometimes, we go from chapter 37 to 38 and 38 to 39, and we think it's like a day. We think, well, that was Friday, now it's Tuesday. <laughs> chapter 37, when Joseph's stories begins to this moment, it's been 13 years. He went, into, he went into slavery at around 17 years old. Now he's cruising around 30. Time has elapsed. He's been at this waiting game a long time. But during this whole time, it's interesting, Joseph has been faithful. He's just hung in there. And that's where we get this whole idea of an effective, faithful witness, how to have an effective testimony. So let's look at this text. We're, we're not going to obviously read all two chapters, or, or that will take up a lot of time. We're going to move our way through here. But there are seven nuggets that I want to mine out of these two chapters that I think will help all of us be an effective testimony. And here's the first thing. First thing about Joseph is that he was trusted to do the work that was put before him. He was a trusted person for whatever work was put before him. It's probably one of the most notable qualities. He was a trusted worker. He was originally trusted with his father. His father could trust him. Even he went and he served his brothers. He was faithful to them. He, he, he was faithful in Potiphar's palace. That gave notice to who he was. And even in prison, when giving the task, he was diligent. Now look at chapter 40, verse 1. It says, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard and in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So let me give, give you a picture here. Again, some time has happened. He's been in prison some time. He's been so faithful and so effective in his work that he's risen up the ranks, even in prison, so much so that he is now serving in the captain of the guard's house, which would be in our vernacular, the warden. In some prisons, they have prisoners who are labeled trustees. After they've been there a while, they've been found proven and faithful. They're given tasks. They're given liberties. They're given jobs. This guy is now in the captain of the guard's house. Something about him and his faithfulness has been noticed. And even so, two of the king of Egypt, the pharaoh's officers who are sent to prison, Joseph is assigned to take care of them. He's a faithful guy. He's been faithful in these things and it has moved him up to a place of influence. Later on, Joseph is going to serve Pharaoh. And again, his faithfulness, his diligence, his competence of work will garnish him all kinds of favor from the Pharaoh. 
And as difficult it has been to be in prison and to be betrayed and be falsely accused, wherever Joseph landed, whatever he was asked to do, he did it wholeheartedly. And it gained him a good report and a good name and favor. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul told the church of Corinth, who needed this kind of encouragement as well. He said to them in chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 31 and 33, it says, So whatever you eat and drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jew or the Gentile, meaning don't give them a reason to give accusation about you or to the church, other believers. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many that they may be saved. Paul said there is a connection. Good work leads to a good name and opens the door to the good news. Amen? A good work leads to a good name, and then you get to share the good news. And Joseph understood that, a good work. I want to tell you right now, as I look at the marketplace, and I've talked to a lot of people in the marketplace, people don't want to work. It would be easy to be noticed in the workplace today. There's such a lackluster, inconsistent, incompetent, inconsiderate workforce out there. If you even show up and shine a little bit, you're basically like a Christmas tree in the middle of July. You'll be noticed. I had an engine light come on my car just a couple of weeks ago, and so I pulled into the dealership, and, uh, and uh, so they came in, they hooked up that little gizmo to tell me exactly what's wrong in my car, and while they're doing that, the service manager looks at me, he goes, um, Mr. Mitchell, I, I hope nothing is serious. And I'm thinking to myself, that's kind of a strange thing, they want to make money, they're hoping it's serious. Right? They want my car in there for a couple of weeks, and they want to make some money. And I said, well, 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 why, why would you say that? He said, because I don't have an opening till the end of November. I said, you got to be kidding me. He says, we don't have anybody who wants to work. He said, I could hire five mechanics today, and I still don't have enough people to work. I'm telling you right now, Christ follower, if we show up at work and we're diligent and we work hard and we do our work and we're found trusted in the workplace, basically a blazing light over the head of that person says, who is this person who is now working for me? The second thing. Second thing is that Joseph noticed people's needs. He noticed people's needs. It's the second quality in his life. He was in tune with those around him. Now, let's continue the story. This baker and this, this cupbearer, you know, they're now in prison, and, and, um, and, and something happens. Verse 5, one night they both dreamed. Well, that's interesting. Joseph has an ability to interpret dreams. That was quite a little coincidence, wasn't it? There was something that just kind of happened. And the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each had their own dream, and each dream had its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in his custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? So catch this. Joseph is serving them. 
I mean, these guys are prisoners, but he's still, he's bringing their tang and their coffee for them in the morning. He said, hey, guys, I got a little coffee here for you. What's wrong with you fellas? There's something not right here. You guys are downcast. You look troubled. You look upset. Instead of ignoring their obvious concerns, he asked what was wrong. Well, stop right there. All of us have encountered people like this. I know it's probably a surprise to you that there have been people around me who have been crying, seem distracted, non-talkative, sullen, and I run the opposite way because I don't want to ask that question. So what is wrong? Because I am going to get sucked into their problem, and I have enough problems of my own. I'm just here to do my work and go home. I get it. But that's not what Joseph did. Joseph was in tune. Joseph was sensitive. Joseph didn't see him, them as just people who he was taking care of. And the two officers tell them about some troubling dreams, almost like they were nightmares. Listen, friends, we live in a selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-deluded world where the Holy Trinity of today is me, myself, and I. And if there is one person in a collection of people that rises up and, and doesn't exhibit that, all of a sudden you are the oddity. If you're the one who shows concern, who shows care, who asks what's wrong, why are you downcast, demonstrates that unusual, amazing level of benevolence and grace, even to these pagans, being filled with sympathy and Noticing people's lives, you are out of the normal for today. And everybody sees it, and everybody notices it. And to be an effective testimony during a trying time, where it is trying for everybody else, if you're the one who sees somebody and you ask the question, hey, are you all right? You just don't seem like yourself today. They may tell you about a trouble with their kid or with a, a pa- an older parent who's now been found with a terminal illness or they're not concerned, their husband lost their job or their wife has lost their job or what, whatever it can be. You may be that person at that sovereign providential time who will ask that question and all of a sudden the door is opened up for that relationship to build. And you can then not tell your biography but your testimony, which is the third thing. The third thing Joseph does here, it's amazing, is whenever he can, he inserts the Lord whenever he had an opportunity. So let's continue the story. Joseph is asked, he asks these two soldiers, and they tell him what's wrong. They said, we had these dreams. Look at verse 8. He said, we had these dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. <laughs> yes, there is. Joseph. So what does Joseph say? Well, I'm going to tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, well, fellas, you're in luck today because I just happen to have the skill to do it. I have a little experience. Have you looked at my resume? This is no question. You have come to the right guy today. That is not what he said. Look what he said. He said, do not interpretations belong to God? If you want an answer for those dreams, I'm going to tell you the only answer is God's going to have to give it to you. 
God's going to have to show up. The Lord's going to have to answer your problem. We're, we would all be tempted to say, look, I have experience. I have success in deciphering these things. You have nothing to worry about. That little night vision you have, I got the answer. But he doesn't. Immediately, he tells them that he knows who has sent the dream, and he knows how to get the answer. And I think this is really remarkable, especially in light of Joseph's life. See, Joseph, at this point, with all of the injustice in his life, he should have given up on God. He should be blaming God, be angry to God. He should have walked away from God. But after 13 years, he is still batting it, and, get, and he's still swinging in there for God. He keeps saying, you know what? Even though all this has happened, and nearly half of my life I've been away from my family, I'm telling you, the Lord is your answer right here. And he finds a way to slip in the Lord's name and fame in everything he does. If you would, just look ahead to verse, uh, chapter 41 for a minute, verse 16. Because Pharaoh's going to have the same kind of deal. He's going to have this dream that needs an answer. But watch what Joseph does even to the king of Egypt. He says, it's not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Keep looking, verse 25. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28. It is told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. 32. And doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the things is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring them about. Whatever and wherever possible, Joseph gives God credit. He said, God is the one who's going to do it. Is he going to use Joseph? Absolutely. But is he going to point back and say, it is God who is doing this? Listen, even though people may not be interested in who and how their problems have come and that God can be the one to fix, wherever and whenever you have a chance as an effective witness, you just simply slip in the fact that, you know, the problem that you have, the Lord has an answer for. That elderly fa family member who's facing terminal illness, God has an answer for that. That son or daughter who's off the rails, God has an answer for that. Your uncertainty because your spouse has lost their job, God has an answer for that. God has an answer for that. They may not believe it. They may just shake their head and walk away from you. But that seed has been planted in their mind. And the person who's been concerned for them has given them an answer. There's a fourth thing. And the fourth thing is this, that Joseph spoke truth when it was good news. Now, the next two points really go hand in hand. They're cousins. You see, what makes Joseph an effective witness is that he was a man who could be trusted. He was a man of integrity. And he didn't just get the job completed and served well, but when given the opportunity and asked for his opinion, he told the truth. His integrity went past just being faithful at work. He was faithful in what he said and what he shared. He told the truth. The information that he had, he, he relayed it. He, he gave it unvarnished. And he gave it when it was good news and it was bad news. Let's first talk about the good news. In, in chapter 40, verse 9, the, the cupbearer tells him about the dream. He said, I had my, in my dream, there was this vine before me, and 
On the vine there were three branches, as soon as they budded, its blossom shot forth, and the cluster was ripened into grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup then in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said, okay, I got it. Here is the interpretation. The three branches of three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand again as former when you were the cupbearer. Hey, listen, that's good news for that guy. That guy's getting his job back. I mean, that dream wasn't so bad after all. It was troubling, but I'm getting my job back. I'm going to be restored. Because Joseph didn't have to do it. He wasn't beholding to them. There was no reason to. He, he gave him good news. He was a man of integrity. Uh, later on in chapter 41, the exact same thing will happen to Pharaoh. Pharaoh will have a dream. He'll explain his dream. He'll talk about these, these, uh, you know, these cows, and they were healthy cows. They were dying cows. And, and Joseph will say, Pharaoh, I got good news. And here's the good news. You're going to have seven years of plenty and, and they're going to have a, a, a lot of resources. And here, what we got to do, we got to fill up the storehouses with all that we have. But good news is you're going to have seven years of plenty. That's what your dream says. Pharaoh would be very happy to hear that. It'd be good news. Joseph heard dreams and he gave the unvarnished good news. And we need people like that. We need people who will give good counsel, good solutions, encouraging reports. Even when you know in your heart of hearts, if you give an idea to your boss, when he goes into the boardroom, he's taking credit for that, and you're not going to get any credit for it. His name will be on that report, or his name or her name will be on that project, and you're going to be the one to tell them how it should be done best. But you're not worried about the credit. You've been placed there to speak the truth and to share good news. It's not just good counsel. It's praise for work that's being done. When, you, when you're at a job, you should be the one sharing the positive things, the good things, being thankful for things. You know, recently I was in a, I was in a meeting with some employees, and I was going to be sharing something in this meeting, so I got to sit in the meeting. But during the meeting, the executive director told all his employees that there was a decision in the corporate end, and they were going to be changing their medical insurance. And almost like in, 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 in a signal, you could hear the murmuring, the moaning, and the groaning. Oh. Filling out more paperwork, a new card, a new system. Will my doctor keep, keep this plan? What kind of limb, what kind of benefits? And going on, 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 on. And I'm sitting there, I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, oh, i got to preach on this. This is a great illustration this week. This is unbelievable. And then I'm thinking to myself, is there not a Christ follower in this place that somebody will say amongst the murmuring and complaining, you know what, boss? I am just so thankful that we have health insurance. See, that would be telling the truth and giving good news and looking at the positive side of it. The Apostle Paul told us to do that in Ephesians 6. He says, bond servants, that, that's another word for employees. 
Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from our heart, rendering service with a good, with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whenever he is a bondservant or free. We, we should be the ones that our bosses can count on hearing the truth, but hearing good news, positive words of encouragement, uplifting words. But there's a second part of this. Uh, just Number five is this, is that, that he, he spoke truth when it was bad news. It's easy to say good news, but as a matter of fact, it's really a challenge to say bad news. That's where your real integrity comes. Look back at the, the cupbearer and the baker in, in Genesis 40, verse 16. Because then the baker tells him his dream. And he saw that the interpretation for the cupbearer was favorable. And so he says to Joseph, all right, Joseph, I also have a dream. There are three cake baskets on my head, and the uppermost one, there's all assortments of baked goods for Pharaoh, but birds came and eat, 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 uh, was eating out of it. And Joseph answered, I have the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Stop there. Uh, that's what he said about the, 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 the cupbearer. Now, understand this. He is not beholding to tell this guy anything. As a matter of fact, it might do him bad. He still, you know, he has, may have some favorable people up in the, in the king's palace. So telling him bad news may be really bad news for Joseph, not just for this guy. But Joseph, man of integrity, he tells him the bad news. He says, three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. The birds will eat your flesh from you. On the third day in which Sarah's birthday, they made a feast for all the servants, lifted up the head of the, of the cupbearer and of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the cupbearer, and he placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. That, that's bad news, friends. Death is coming. You're not going to get your job back. You're going to be hanging from the, a branch in a few days. But Joseph was honest. He was truthful, even when it was bad news. Later on, we read in Pharaoh's dream, there was both good news and bad news. There would be seven years of plenty, but then seven years of famine. That's bad news. You don't want to hear that. But it was strategic. He was warning Pharaoh to save the nation, and ultimately, that there was a coming in days where there would be no food, but if we will save it up, then we will have influence in the world. We will be able to make a difference if you listen to be both the good news and the bad news. Listen, you may share bad news at the job or at your school or at your PTA, and it's not accepted. You're told to be quiet. They may silence you, cancel you, make accusation against you because they don't like your honesty, because you're the bearer of bad news. You need to act in honesty. You need, to be, you need to be truthful and tell even when there's bad news. And you'll be proven true because the one who's watching is the Lord God. And that's who you're serving. That's the one that you're a witness for. And to be an effective witness, you've got to be willing to tell the truth, the good truth and sometimes the bad truth. 
to warn people, to help people, because you're a person of integrity. Last two points. Number six. Why was Joseph effective? Well, he was trusted. He met people's needs. He, he noticed people's needs. And, and when he did, he, he inserted the Lord wherever he could, even in the most simplest ways. He told the truth when it was good. He told the truth when it was bad. And number six, he accepted God's timing, when, even when it was unjust. Now, now look, look back at chapter 40, verse 13. The, 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 the story plays out. The three days Pharaoh lifted up that hand, restored them the office. You shall place the cup in the hand of the former when he was the cupbearer. Number 14, Joseph says to him, I, I have a request. Only remember me. Just remember me. When it is well with you, please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. Now, let me stop right there. That is a perfectly acceptable request. We get that. Hey, listen, I, I've given you some good news. You're going to get your job back. If you get your job back and all this stuff plays out, would you do me a favor? I've been stuck down here 13 years. Could you help me out and try to get me out of here? You'll have the king's ear. Could you whisper in the king? There's a Jewish boy down there. He's a real good kid. Why don't we get him out of there? Watch what happens. Verse 15. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I've done nothing that they should put me in this pit. And he restored the cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. He hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. Number 23. And yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let that sink in. Joseph gives the cupbearer good news makes an appeal, he gets his job back, and he forgets Joseph. And let me give you a timeline. Another two years tick off the calendar. There was just injustice after injustice after injustice in Joseph's life. I have a series of messages on Joseph's life and simply called When Life's Not Fair. I mean, on every term, there was injustice. And I know because I've said these same things to God. God, how, how long? Well, why? I, I've served you faithfully. I've done, I've done everything you wanted me to do, God. How long? How, why? I can't, couldn't this guy just remember me? And so Joseph just goes back to the prison. He starts working again, just doing what he did before. And being a witness and having a testimony for the Lord, beloved, let me tell you, tough situations mean that injustice may happen and prolong your wait. And sometimes our suffering and waiting means a greater testimony will happen. Remember, testimony starts with tests. Testimonies are filled with tests. And God is at work. God is working. But let me just tell you that, 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 that Pharaoh and that cupbearer and neither Joseph had control of that calendar. God did. And ultimately, Joseph is going to get out of prison. He will be remembered. But it's the timing that's important. Because when he comes out of prison, Pharaoh will be ready to listen. 
Pharaoh will be a a moment of crisis where he will want to listen to that Hebrew boy. And everything will be lined up for that seven years of plenty and seven years of famine to take place. And what that means is Joseph will then get reunited with his family. But everything had to be lined up. And God is the one who providentially puts everything in place. And what we need to do is accept that as God is building our testimony, it's his timing that matters. And that suffering will happen. Reminded what the Apostle Paul said and gives us some wisdom. He said, whatever I have gained, he said, whatever I have gained, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything that I lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of things, and I count it all rubbish. That word rubbish, scubalon, it means human excrement. Everything I have, everything I've done, everything I've been a part is just human excrement, except for one thing, knowing Christ. And later on, he says, it's not just knowing Christ, it's this. It's knowing the power of his resurrection that I may share in his suffering and become like him in death so that I can experience resurrected life. Joseph is going to be in the pit of that prison, and he's going to come forth in resurrection power But he had to understand and accept the fact that timing is up to God. Timing is up to God. Here's the last thing. Number seven, we're at the end. And and all God's people said, it's a miracle. That was bad. All God's people said, it's a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. There's seven points in two chapters in Genesis in the period of time. Wow. Here's the seventh thing. Joseph was in a effective testimony because he provided answers, solutions, suggestions for the good of those whom he served, even when they were unfair and unkind. We get this, don't we? That there are times that people at work or in the marketplace, at school, wherever we may be mixing it up with the world, they're unkind, they're unloving, they're unfair, they're unjust, they're unsaved. That's why they're acting that way. They don't know Jesus. That's why they're acting that way. But you're set up because as they do those things, we get to act differently and we get to write our testimony. The cup pair finally remembers Joseph. See, what happened is Pharaoh has his dream, and this dream is troubling Pharaoh. And for some providential reason, all of a sudden, the, 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 the cupbearer says, Oh, wait a minute, Pharaoh! You got a bad dream. I can help you. There's a Jewish kid down in the, in the, in the jail. And he interprets dreams. Brings Joseph out. They clean him up. They bring him before Pharaoh. If the, if the cupbearer had advocated for Joseph when he first got out, Joseph would not have had an automatic audience with Pharaoh. Timing is everything. And so Joseph then goes before Pharaoh, and he lays out the interpretation, and he gives him a plan. He said, Pharaoh, here's what your dream is. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Verse 33 of chapter 41, it says, And now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. 
And then let them gather up all these food, these good years that are coming, store them up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food for the cities and let them keep them. And the food shall be in reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the Pharaoh. And the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, listen, listen, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? You're talking about a pluralistic theity in, in, the, in Egypt. They had many gods. He figures out this guy has the Spirit of God on him. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all the people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard as the throne will be greater than you. Joseph, you're going to be the number two man in this nation. He gave them a plan. He told them exactly. God gave them that plan. But he gave them a plan so not only he would have food, but he would have power, influence, and ultimately control the rest of the world. And Pharaoh is so impressed with his counsel that Joseph is put in charge. And it took some time, but Joseph traveled from the pit to Potiphar, to the prison, and now to Pharaoh's palace. It's taken a number of years, a lot of pain, but Joseph was an effective testimony, putting him in different places of influence, being faithful, working hard, caring about people, telling the truth, all of that, to bring him to a place that now God has exactly where he needs to be to ultimately save Israel and get restored with his family. What a God. What a God, and what a testimony, and what an inspiration to us. So what do we do with this today? Well, number one is simply this. Whatever you ask to do at work, uh, at your prison, <laughs> some of you may think it is prison, <laughs> but wherever, whatever marketplace you live in, as Paul was trying to persuade the people of Mars Hill in his marketplace, do it with all your heart. And remember, you're doing it for the glory of God. And secondly, when given the chance to speak, speak truth, even if it's bad news. But especially when it comes to the gospel, tell the truth, good news and bad news. You know, for people to understand the good news of the gospel, they do have to understand that there's bad news for us. I remember years ago, you know, Campus Crusade had this thing. They said that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I've changed it. I say God loves you and he has a terrible plan for your life. That's why you want to listen to what God has to say. Because of our sin, we're going to hell and we need a Savior. And isn't praise be to God, God has provided a Savior for us. And so we can be with him for heaven, forever and ever. We can have our sins forgiven. We can become children of God. God is just desiring to be with you forever and ever and ever. But part of that is acknowledging that you need them. And that's good news, bad news. I get it. But we got to give it both. And, and, and thirdly this, remember God's timing. Remember it took Joseph 13, 15 years in prison. God was moving. You say, 15 years? Holy mackerel. Well, it will move fast. 
it, 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 time, time moves quickly. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and it's been a decade. But in all that time, God is moving the chess pieces, moving you in the right places, getting things just the way he needs it to be so that your effective testimony will have the greatest impact. And then when you are around people, give them solutions. Give them solutions that will benefit them, that will encourage them, that will help them. Remember, good work leads to a good name and ultimately the good news. And Joseph is an inspiration for us. Now, we're in church one day a week. We're out in the marketplace five, six, seven days a week. We're around people more out there than we are in here and in our homes. And Joseph gives us the model of how to be an effective witness in trying times and in trying places.